Since its introduction in 2014, the American Board of Internal Medicine's Maintenance of Certification Program has proven controversial. Frustrated by the program's requirements, Dr. Paul Tierstein, Chief of Cardiology at Scripps Clinic, started the No MOC online petition, which became a rallying point for physicians. This led to the development of a new alternative certifying body for physicians pursuing ongoing certification. In this episode of the ASN Kidney News Podcast, ASN Executive Director Todd Ibrahim speaks with Dr. Tierstein about this new alternative called the National Board of Physicians and Surgeons. What is the National Board of Physicians and Surgeons? The National Board of Physicians and Surgeons is a not-for-profit organization that was set up this year to certify physicians for ongoing certification. It provides ongoing certification for physicians who have previously been granted certification by an American Board of Medical Specialties member board. So these could be the ABIM or it could be a surgical board and these are Board of Family Medicine and after positions have been certified by these organizations, they can be certified by the NBPAS, the National Board as we call it, provided they meet certain requirements. And why did you help establish the National Board? Many physicians are upset about the recent changes to the recertification or maintenance of certification process. Those changes, we believe, are onerous, time-consuming, time-wasting, and expensive. Therefore, we have established an alternative to ensure that physicians are maintaining their lifelong learning and being involved with learning and keeping current and making sure they have their licenses intact and make sure that they have not been removed from hospital privileges or otherwise are good citizens. But mainly it's to provide an alternative for lifelong learning instead of the current maintenance of certification requirements. So just so I'm clear, the National Board's not focusing on initial certification. So initial certification would still happen through an ABMS board like the American Board of Internal Medicine. Your focus is on the maintenance of certification, recertification, lifelong learning part of the continuum. That's correct. And we look carefully at the whole certification process, and we do not believe there is really enough problems. There are problems with every part of it, but the initial certification goes fairly smoothly. It's not unreasonable for there to be a test at the end of a training program, and so we're okay with that, and we're not trying to change that. Uh, We're just trying to come up with a more reasonable, more meaningful method of ensuring uh, lifelong learning, and that's what the focus is. And so how will the National Board, what's its strategy for being recognized by hospitals and and health systems and others in terms of letting physicians retain their admitting privileges? Yeah, so so you're really hitting on the key key issue here. Another way to ask the question would be, hey, so why do you need certification in the first place? And there's a lot of reasons, but the main reason doctors care about certification is that their hospitals require it to practice. And that the states actually don't require it. It's not, it's not a requirement for licensure. And it doesn't look like it's going to be a requirement for licensure, which is probably appropriate. The hospitals do require it. Some of the payers require it. It's not been as big a problem. I have yet to find specific payers that I can talk to about this, uh, so I'm not even really sure how to get them to recognize it because I don't even know who they are. But the hospitals have been the big issue. So this is a process, and right now most of the hospitals have a requirement that their admitting physicians are board certified and that that board be an American Board of Medical Specialties board. So to change that requires changing the bylaws. And the way that usually starts is at a credentials committee and or a medical executive committee. So physicians have to make an appearance and discuss it with the committee. 
once the medical executive committee has approved it, then it goes to the usually the board of trustees that changes the they have to vote to change the bylaws. So usually it requires several committees. At Scripps, for example, there are five hospitals, and we really need to be able to – we don't really like doing things at one hospital, so it's going to probably be, require five boards, five committees, and something called the Physician's Leadership Committee, which is the chiefs of staff from all the different hospitals. They have to meet. And once that's all done, then it will go to the Board of Trustees. So each hospital is slightly different. The committees meet generally once a month, and they generally want to hear about this and talk about it more than once. So this is a multi-month process. <laughs> Um, had a lot of experience now presenting to medical executive committees and conventional committees. They usually give you 15 minutes, present a slideshow, then we have a little discussion, and then they want to think about it. And I have some tips for those who want to present to their committees. Our website has PowerPoints that you can download. There's two PowerPoint shows, one 30 minutes long and one 15 minutes long that they can use and adapt as they need. We also have sample letters on the website. Uh, letters you can send to your colleagues to get them involved and letters you can send to your administrators and your chief of staff to ask them to present this and discuss it and get on the agenda for the committee meeting. So that's those are the tools, but it does require every single hospital physician champions to push this through. Our experience is that there's almost no pushback about the committee meetings, with the exception of one or two doctors who, if you ask them, it'll turn out that they're from a specialty that does not require maintenance certification. They don't really understand what we're talking about. That's one of the main problems to overcome. But that's usually a very, very small minority of the committee, and those usually you can overcome that. The second problem that you run into is the hospital committees are concerned about being the first one to approve this, and we now have eight hospitals that have approved it. We'll be releasing the names of them really shortly. Uh, we've got a list that's growing. It just, it just does take time because, remember, it's not something that happens overnight. Each committee meets once a month, and then they want to talk about it some more, and then has to get booted up to the next committee. And by the time you're – it's about now. It's been five months that we've been working on this, or four and a half months. And so, really, we're starting to see hospitals approve this, and I expect to see a lot more approve it over the next couple of months, and I think it will snowball from there. So it sounds like, to some extent, this could be a specialty-specific discussion. So just using nephrology as an example, mm-hmm. if an organization like the American Society of Nephrology were to look at the landscape and say, okay, we agree with you that, that ABMS is handling initial certification well, and that's not something that we want to address, but we do want to look at lifelong learning, there could be multiple avenues for someone maintaining sort of their – absolutely. Um, so, That's so, the idea. So, the idea is why should it be one? Why should the ABMS have a monopoly on this? There's got to be lots of different ways and people have different needs. So the other component that our members, when you look at the current maintenance of certification structure, the piece that our members seem to value is self-assessment. So would you be willing or is there a possibility to use the self-assessment piece as the CME credits? Sure. As long as the CME comes from an accredited body, that is the ACCME, um, is the accrediting body that we're using for CME. It's the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education. So if the self-assessment is provided by an organization that is a recognized provider of the ACCME, then that's okay. So really the two parts of maintenance certification that you, you do not include would be the SECURE exam and the practice improvement modules. 
Well, more than that. So the secure exam, we really are against that. And, you know, it's taken me a lot of time and talking and listening and thinking about this to get to the point where I thought an exam was not needed. I was initially one of those that thought, well, you know, we're not going to get away with not getting an exam. You know, they're going to want an exam. An exam is kind of the way we always measure people. And what I've really come to believe now after talking to a lot of people is that the exams are really meaningless. The exam, all it does is makes you study for the things you don't know. And the reason you don't know them is because you don't need to know them. If you need to know something in medicine, you learn it. And so you learn all these things for the exams that you immediately forget, and it's just a waste of time. You know, each of us has different practice. We, we know the areas we specialize in, and we know the niches that we need to know specialized information for. And studying for exam is really not going to help us be a better doctor. So we're against that. We're also against the medical knowledge modules. These are mini exams that you take along the 10-year process, and they're online. You can look up the answer, but again, it's a waste of time. I mean, actually, the way it is now, you can Google the questions. It's a real waste of time because it's just that. I mean, if you don't know the answer, you just Google it and find the right answer, and that's that. I mean, you could argue, well, that's a good thing, but actually, it's not a good thing because you don't need to know the answer because you're not using it clinically. It's not a clinically relevant question for you. The practice improvement modules sound really good, particularly if you're not a doctor, but they're just a complete waste of time, so much so that the ABIM has already suspended them. That's when you give an evaluation to all your patients, and then they give you some data back, and you write a practice improvement plan. It's a colossal waste of time. Uh, you only give the evaluation to patients that like you. It takes you, I think we needed to give 20, I think we needed about 20 responses. You have to give 50 patients these evaluations or so. Each time you give them the evaluation, you have to discuss it with them. It's it's a lot of time and it's a waste of time. Then there's the patient safety aspect of it, which again sounds good, except it's really not relevant to your practice. If you're not, it depends what you're, how you're practicing. If you're in a hospital, then the hospital's credentialing requirements are that you do this every year. So that's completely redundant. If I've worked at a hospital, I have to do my patient safety modules. I think it's every two years I have to do them. So it's, a, again, a total waste of time. So we don't care about those. I want to make sure that I'm understanding correctly the, the structure. So someone has completed initial certification. They're holding the certification. They then maintain their license. They then generate 50 uh, continuing medical education credits. It sounds like if there are existing programs for self-assessment that also provide CME credits, that that would be acceptable. And then the rest of it would be the responsibility of other sort of quality assessors, if that's um, the federal government through pay-for-performance activities or activities at individual health systems or, say, in our, our world, dialysis organizations um, maintain that that would be sort of the way you would be looking at patient safety, practice improvement, et cetera. Is that a, a fair sort of assessment? Exactly. Of exactly. Of we're not. We're going to let the other organizations that are already there do that, and we're not going to require that for our certification. Uh, this idea, now we could ultimately change that. I mean, there's, there's nothing to say we can't say instead of 50 hours, you know, you can make 10 of those hours in self-assessment, and we can credential certain self-assessment tools as fulfilling those requirements. We can, we can even make our own. We'd rather not get into the business of doing redundant testing. I mean, it just seems that that's a waste of everyone's time. One thing we're not really focused on is making money on this, in this organization. And that's not really the motivation of the organization. None of the doctors are getting paid, and we're trying to charge very reasonable fees so that we can do this all without it being a big monster uh, organization that requires doctors to pay a lot. Well, and what I'm realizing, and I just want to make sure that I'm understanding correctly, is it's not a particularly specialty-specific approach. It's a much more general approach in terms of what the individual physician has to do for his or her practice. Right. Well, the CME needs to be in one of your specialties. 
So but, it is. But organizationally, you don't have to have, say, a separate nephrology entity if it's a nephrology board or nephrology panel. No, no, no. You'll check off the nephrology when you apply, and then we'll give you your certificate and apology. So how, um, I guess I have two final questions. I mean, one is from an organizational perspective, what would a group like ASN representing, you know, say 90% of the nephrologists in the United States, what role do you see us playing in the national Good board, question. if yeah, any? Great question. So if the society agreed with us and thought this was a good alternative to the ABMS, or for nephrologists, it's the ABIM's requirement for maintenance of certification, then they could vote to suggest that hospitals accept this. They could give us a nod, basically, and say, we agree with this approach. And if they did now, my guess is that your societies, that that would be something that would require, again, a little time, because my guess is you're going to have a meeting and not everybody is going to totally agree with it. You're going to have to discuss it a little bit. Uh, it might take a couple of months. But I suspect that if there was a vote taken, if it was a majority of the organizational board of the SNN, that they would vote in favor to support the NBPAS as an alternative. So I guess the final question I have is, it sounds like the National Board is a not-for-profit organization, but yeah. there are a lot of for-profit players in this space. There are medical education and communication companies, yeah. for-profit hospitals, for-profit dialysis right. organizations, insurers. What do you see their role, the sort of for-profit world, in assessing lifelong learning of physicians? Well, that's actually a really good. You know, no one's asking that question, so let me just think for a second about it. I think to a certain extent they can supply CME, accredited CME. Uh, that's valuable. If there are things of value that they can provide that will help physicians stay current and pursue lifelong learning, then I know our organization would be open to looking at them and seeing if they could satisfy some of the requirements. But what we're reluctant to do is be in a situation where we require or any organization requires that physicians take a particular route for certification. And so we would be very reluctant to require that a for-profit or any organization materials be required for certification. Right, but if there's an existing government program that is see, but that's outside because you're focused on the other components. So really, it's the like a med-ed company could produce CME, and as long as it was accredited by ACCME, that would be fine. So it really yeah, yeah. puts the yeah. onus on ACCME. Yeah. That's the idea. So we didn't. We don't. We don't. We're trying not to recreate the wheel here. You know, we don't have to recreate the program. Well, Dr. Cherson, thank you very much for taking time to talk with us today. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, and if you could support us, it would be very, very helpful. I mean, this is we're at a tipping point now, where we're just looking for an organization like this to support us, and it'll help propel the uh, really the movement to uh, take back some control over all of these. Uh, onerous requirements that physicians have lately had to uh, partake in. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified health care provider. If you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment, thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology. Music